Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the Transcript yesterday, and there was a lot of good stuff in there as usual. I think the biggest change for us this week is in the macro section, we didn't even focus on the strength of the economy. I think the strength of the economy is old news at this point. I think people are well aware that the economy is operating at very rapid clip. We were fully focused on inflation this week. There were some strong comments from a few different companies about the inflationary environment. Clorox, for instance, said, we're certainly seeing an incredibly inflationary environment. 3M said we're seeing inflation on all sides. I think that was the story of the week was inflation and the effects that that will have on Federal Reserve policy. Eric, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I want to second your thoughts on inflation. Uh, That was a key theme we picked up this week. I think the key question on most of the uh, management team's uh, minds is this transitory or not. And I think in the past, you've talked about is that the Fed's at least in the outward statement, they keep saying that it's transitory. But I think the management teams keep saying, no, it's not. Suddenly Black and Decker, you saw them say like they're seeing this inflation keep going until next year, like the high price rises they're seeing right now. So I think that's uh, that's a key question. And of course, how that would uh, translate to interest rates. Janet Yellen there said that uh, the high interest rates may not be that of a problem after all they know how to deal with them a really nice quote which i picked down there which was from walmart who says that most people who've grown up i think if you're under 50 years you have never really experienced inflation any thoughts on that yeah i've made this comment a few different times on podcasts that all inflation is ultimately transitory because price levels adjust to a new equilibrium and then the inflation doesn't really continue I mean, since the 1980s, we've had sustained structural inflation, but it's just been 1% to 3% inflation during that time. That's structural inflation, though, because prior to the 1980s, we didn't have that structural inflation. And in fact, in the 50s, you know, the Eisenhower was, administration was slamming on the brakes of the economy in order to prevent 2% inflation. So I think inflation is a frame of reference. Really what's important is the extent to which it influences policy and interest rates as cost of capital flowing through the equity markets. I think the comments though from interactive brokers is that a rising rate environment is seen as inevitable from their perspective. So I wonder how the Fed itself is going to respond to this in the next meeting. The, the indications, of course, from their side is that there won't be any price or any interest rate increases until 2020. Two, I think 2023. So I, I would bet maybe if inflation comes in, it may force their hand. And I think that's a speculation. A few of the calls that we've looked at, they talk about. Yeah, I think the Fed is obviously meeting this week and we'll have a press conference. And look, if they say that the economy is still has a long way to go until full recovery, I think that it's just clear that they don't have any desire to look at the data, that they're not looking at the same data that anyone else in the economy is looking at. Because even with respect to labor markets, you're seeing only tightness of labor markets. You're hearing comments about wages rising. And you know, Bank of America's CEO was talking about that their forecast is an unemployment rate in the low to mid 4% range by the end of the year. But the unemployment rate is probably the most lagging indicator of labor markets right now, because it's very clear that labor markets are, are, are tight from the other things that we're reading. Yeah. 
I mean, we would want to see how they respond and we'll be, of course, uh, keeping uh, keeping tabs on that. Something else that maybe we picked up is uh, how tra- I think travel, business travel has fully kind of recovered in China and then how Europe is very much open for business, especially this summer. You can feel it. There are a lot more people visiting around. So Europe is kind of open for business this summer. So I think there's a lot of expectations that it will be the business of uh, the summer when they get back at least to 2019 levels in terms of, of, of travel and visits and tourism and all. Is there anything you picked up yourself now from the earnings calls this week? Yeah, I was actually traveling for work for the first time in a long time last week. And so that was an interesting experience. The airports were crowded. The hotel experience was interesting as well. I stayed at a Hilton in the Seattle area. And it was still very much under COVID protocols. All of it, all of the travel was under COVID protocols, but it feels like this lagging segment of the economy because most other places now you see masks coming off. People aren't wearing masks around as much, but that's not the case on airplanes. People are still definitely wearing masks around airports and on the planes, which is a good thing. But COVID also has become a bit of an afterthought in this economy now. So. Do you see more business travel as you're traveling or more? Late? I did. When I was at the hotel in the lobby in the mornings, there were people in, in suits and clearly going to business meetings. So I will say, I still think that the Zoom economy is quite a bit more efficient than travel in person. There were some really good things about travel in person in terms of being able to see people live and have live conversations, but you get 90% of the way there with probably 5x the efficiency if you're doing Zoom calls. So so you, you can bet more companies are seeing this and they would want people to be more, uh, more, more or less on Zoom. And less I think travel. so. At the same time, the impulse to return to normal operating procedures is really strong. So I think the ultimate way that this is going to play out is it's going to be a battle of efficiency. Whichever companies are more efficient, whether it's a hybrid approach or a strict work from home approach, that's what's going to win out, whatever wins the competition. So Maybe switching... <laughs> Moving on to the consumer section, there is a lot of talk about housing sales cooling off. I mean, we've had a very hot housing market this past couple of weeks, so it's no, there's no doubt that there has to be a point where it has to be coming down. So it's not really like tapering off completely, but it, it's actually going a little slower than it was before. Any thoughts on that yourself? Yeah, these quotes in the consumer section were both just for paid subscribers of the transcript, but they were really important quotes showing a potential shift in the housing market, which has been really hot for the last year or more. Both of them were from Redfin CEO saying that they're starting to see some signs that housing markets are cooling down. And the reason that he said that was that there's buyer fatigue. There's not enough inventory out there for buyers to be able to find what they're looking for. Buyers who are out there may have had experiences of losing in multiple offers multiple times, and people are just starting to want to take a break from from the housing search. And I think that probably also goes to the fact that it's summer and people are out living their lives. They're not at home constantly and thinking about all day how they have to move to a new home because it's so uncomfortable to be in their apartment or their small home or anything. And so the penalty from not owning a home is lower than it was in the pandemic. And, and so you would expect the housing market to cool a little bit from that. Could also be that uh, it's a, I mean, once the pandemic wanes a little bit, 
as, as it is right now, the need to have a home kind of fades slightly. When you're at home, I think that's when you really needed more rooms, maybe to hold the Zoom conferences and to have all these meetings. But now I think when you go back to the office, you may not have that big of a need. And maybe the shift also from people from maybe uh, urban areas to rural areas has kind of faded a little bit. Uh, so I think that those could be some of the factors that are playing in. But basically what you're seeing a lot, especially in the consumer section there, is a lot of maybe people moving post-pandemic, like the new in New York City, in-room dining is up. You could see U.S. travel and entertainment. American Express is saying it's almost fully recovered. Restaurants are looking to expand again. So you have this new feel of now it's time to, things have settled down. Can we think of now not just surviving, but actually thriving post-pandemic. Yeah. There was one other section of this week's newsletter that I thought was really important to talk about, which we picked up a couple of times in the last few weeks, which is about the structure of supply chains changing because of what we're seeing in terms of bottlenecks. And a, a few different companies have talked about that maybe companies will move away from this just-in-time model of supply chains. This is really important because... Actually, part of the reason that industrial cycles have been less boom and bust in the last 30 years is because of this move to just-in-time inventories. And that means that companies are holding structurally lower amount of inventories. And the thesis has been that that is because of the efficiencies in the supply chains. And so if companies move towards holding structurally higher levels of inventory, if you see an economic pullback, you would see over-inventories. And that can lead to more of a boom-bust type of cycle. And so this is a really important and interesting change that's going on. I think we probably end up with just-in-time inventory just because it's way more efficient. But to the extent that companies are saying they want to have more inventories than needed right now, it makes the potential bust on the other side a little bit more severe. So something to take, keep an eye on. I would agree on that because this is one theme that I've picked up this week, which is more emphasized this week than the previous weeks. I think it's more about CEOs and CFOs really thinking about how to make the supply chains a bit more robust, especially because to make them more resilient, I think the keyword they've used is resiliency. So they're also doing multiple, they're trying to create multiple channels through which they can be getting their inventory, which of course leads to a little bit of inefficiency. But I think right now they really need the demand is really high, so they need to get their products out there. Companies are rethinking the supply chains. Anything else you picked up or should we end there for today? No, I think that's a good place to end for this week. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us this week. Once again, always send us your comments at admin at theweeklytranscript.com and check us out at the, the transcript of subtract.com. See you next week uh, for more earning, uh, quotes from earnings calls. Thank you. Thank you.